we just care for her in this, this moment. Now we lift up Jason. Lord, we thank you for him, for his service. Pray that you will use him and speak through him and through your word. Pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rob. All right, we're finally at the end of this blue book. I don't know about you, but it feels like this particular uh, segment. I don't know if it's this, this whole book or if the last seven passages uh, from it have just felt like it's lengthy, uh, but we finally come to the end. Uh, next, next week there will be a, a new book, and there's actually a stack of them over there. Uh, you can grab one on your way out, and we'll be in a totally new topic, uh, leaving behind the, uh, the sessions on suffering. Um, so today, uh, version 7 of 7, uh, the uh, main question is, how can I honor God in my suffering? And let's start with a little bit of a question here. What does it mean to honor God? What does it mean to you to honor God? If we're talking about honoring him in our suffering, let's first figure out what it means to honor him. Any thoughts? Yeah, there you go. Um, anybody, is a, does a particular verse come to mind with that? You don't have to remember where it is, but can you recite it? You'll show if you love me, right, by keeping my commands, right? I don't remember exactly where that is, but I know that that sticks in my mind. That's one of the descriptions that God gave us and said, you know, you'll know uh, that you love me if you do what I tell you to do. What are some others? Another one may have just triggered and come to mind there. There's another one that says, this is how they'll know that you love me. And we'll have someone finish that. It's by the way we love each other, right? Yeah, yeah that was a message to his disciples. What are some other ways we honor God? By making him first, right? God said he's a jealous God. He didn't want to compete with anybody, and he won't compete with anything else or anybody else. Good. It's another way we honor God. We just did it at the end of the service today. Giving. Giving, right? That, that giving of the first, that tithe. Um, that tithe is not only supposed to be the first 10%, it's supposed to be the best 10%. So if you were a farmer, uh, you would give, you know, the, the tenth of your crop that was really the best of the crop. What are, what are some other ways we honor God? I think you have to be ready to give, as the Bible says, give an answer for the hope that is in you. I know particularly you you're thinking, you know, in thinking about suffering, if somebody asks you, how are you getting through this, then you need to be able to tell them how. You, yeah. you, need, you need to be able to point them to your source of strength and, and have an answer ready for that. Yeah. If you were to summarize the missionary journey of Paul, uh, Timothy, Titus, I don't know, name a few other people in the crew, um, you, you, if you were to really try and summarize all that they went through, you might come up with words like perseverance, right? Because they were shipwrecked. Uh, they were, people attempted to kill them. Uh, you know, Paul said he had this thorn in his side, this illness, this sickness, this something that would never leave him. But it appears that part of his message is one of perseverance, that even in the, the dark times, he still carried that message forward. And he still described this hope 
that lived with inside of him, inside of him that he was sharing that one day he was going to be with Jesus uh, because of all that Christ had done for him. And so it's just an interesting thought to try and describe what honoring God really looks like. And then when we bring it into a context of suffering, the ability to continue to do those things in that environment is really the story of, of, uh, of Paul and, and his fellow believers. Let's break the ice a little bit today, uh, and that's question one on page 121 in your book, and that is, when have you seen someone honored in a memorable way? I think about military funerals. Yeah, that was one that came to mind for me too. What, what is it about a military funeral that's so moving? Yeah. Yeah, for some it's that, you know, the, the 21 shots from the, the guns that ring out. Does anybody know what the significance is of the 21? I know there's something, I don't recall it, um, but there's, it's not just 21 shots, right? There's, there's, there's some significance to the, uh, to the number, uh, and I know especially for military families that, that means a lot for them. Uh, I also think about the plane of taps, right, is another thing that, uh, that we sort of, we're moved internally when we see that. The folding of the flag, the presenting that folded flag to the family. Um, has anybody seen uh, uh, like a fallen Navy SEAL? Does anybody know what the tradition is there that is so significant for other Navy SEALs? Actually, all Special Forces people that once the service is concluded, they've closed the casket. What do they all do after that? Do you know? They all take off their trident, off of their uniform, and then they put it in the wood, and they, they hit it, and they hammer it into the top of the wood. And that person, as they, they go down, has all the, all the badges, all those tridents that they earned. You earn that trident when you become a Navy SEAL, and then they gladly give it up to some, for someone who gave their life and it's, it's a really powerful part of the, the ceremony, and it's, a, it's honoring uh, a colleague. Uh, what, are, what are some others? Well, a lot of it's kind of along the same lines. Uh, Steve's uncle David was, um, he was in the Mobile Police Department, and I think he started like a motorcycle unit or something was involved with that way back when. And when we went to his funeral, I mean, it was just the respect. I mean, we loved Bradley's on Dolphin Street, headed to, I can't think of the name of that, where the, where the uh, cemetery was, but they closed down all the traffic onto the interstate. They closed down I-10 whenever we circled around. And, it, and to me, it was just the respect was just overwhelming. And then you had all those other taps and you know all that other stuff. It was, it was wow. <laughs> I think about one of the uh, cool awards that they give in the NFL, and it's the Walter Payton Man of the Year. They're not just recognizing the person that's receiving that, they're also recognizing the person that it was named after, uh, which was interesting. And they walk through and they describe the attributes of why this award's important and why it applies to this particular person. And in, and in doing so, they're drawing a comparison. And that's, that's an interesting thing, right? They're saying this person lived like Walter Payton, you know, which, which is interesting. And one of the reasons why I like Walter Payton so much is he's an outspoken believer, which uh, it's neat that they're now using those characteristics that Walter was walking like Jesus or doing his best to, 
and now we're honoring people that walk like him. Let's transition there to that Bible meets life section and remember the point this week is that every part of life, including difficulties, is an opportunity to glorify God. We talked about honoring things just a moment ago and we're going to read this story about one of the crazy things that gets honored right here in Alabama. Uh, Will somebody read that for us? The bull weevil has not been kind to America. After it first migrated from Mexico in 1892, it quickly began to wreak havoc on a prime crop, cotton. Thanks to the bull weevil, cotton production dropped 50% within five years. Land values dropped, local economies hit rock bottom. An estimated 6 million people, mostly African-American farm workers, migrated from the south to the north in what came to be called the Great Migration, and losses were estimated at $23 billion. Why would anyone honor the bull weevil? Yet that's what the town of Enterprise, Alabama did. Cotton was once king, but since the bull weevil was killing the industry, the farmers around Enterprise switched to other crops. When they found these crops to be more profitable, they erected a monument in the pest's honor. The bull weevil forced them to look in another direction, and that ultimately benefited them. We don't need to honor the pain points in our lives, but, we, but let's consider how we can use those pain points as a way to honor the one who walks beside us. Yeah, does anybody know much about the Great Migration? I know about the you know the about bull weevil. Yeah. I mean, the in Enterprise. That is a teen try to steal it because uh-huh. you can actually take mm-hmm. the bull weevil off the top. So <laughs> that was a um, that was a thing back when I was a teenager. You would constantly somebody has stole the bull weevil because it's like just in this island down Main Street. Mm-hmm. So. Small town America. Yes. <laughs> the thrills That's of life. They're just like just in the middle of the street in Enterprise. Hey man, what are we Let's doing this weekend? Let's go steal that bowl. Let's go weevil. steal it. Did anybody ever get in trouble? I mean, of course, but I mean, it's the fun. That's like teenagers. Did you ever steal it? It's a little bit of a drive from Bluebird, but I knew friends who did go, and you know, it would. Were you the lookout? No. No, I tell it all, so no, I would be the one you would would tell them off about. So this this led to this great migration that occurred. Um, that uh, have any of you ever asked the question, how did so many African Americans end up in the northern states? This is how, right? Uh, at around 1900, 95 percent of African Americans lived in the South, uh, and if you were to measure that today, only about half still remain. Uh, about six million people moved north, and they moved north because there was no work. Um, and uh, there, there were a couple other good reasons to move nor- north uh, during that particular time. Uh, Jim Crow laws, discrimination, things like that. But the real impetus was their inability to put food on the table. Nobody needed their services anymore. And it is interesting that the people of Enterprise, Alabama, were enterprising uh, enough to select other crops to grow that were resistant to the bull weevil. Does anybody know what's popular and grown around? Peanuts. Yeah, peanuts was, uh, it was really popular in the Carolinas and Georgia. Uh, and as the bull weevil sort of swept across the, the south, 
peanuts swept across the South as well. Uh, and then we did learn that you can't really grow them well in Louisiana and Texas. They had to do other things uh, in those parts of the world. But yeah, cotton was basically gone uh, at that point. Interesting story, good history lesson for the kids. Uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11. And let's talk about Paul uh, and this missionary journey that he's on and this persecution that he's feeling. And he gives some interesting descriptions uh, of, uh, of his ministry. Let, let's have somebody dive in and read that first section, please. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being, being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. It's a weird passage, right? There's a, there's a lot of imagery here, uh, and Paul's trying to get our attention. And you could break this down and probably have 15 minutes on verse 7. You could probably have about another 10 minutes on, uh, or 15 minutes on verse 10. We don't have that kind of time today. Uh, but let's, let's look at some of the elements, some of the imagery that he uses. Uh, Paul talks about jars of clay. What are, and, and what are some of the characteristics of jars of clay? Fragile. They're fragile. If they break, do you ever fix one? No, they're one and done, right? Uh, what are some other characteristics of clay jars? If you just think about a clay pot, what are some of the things that come to mind? Inexpensive. Inexpensive, right, they're cheap. They're not worth much often compared to what's inside. You ever paid $40 for a plant and you received it in a clay pot? I mean, the clay pot's worth a dollar. You paid $39, well, $37 for the plant and a few dollars for the dirt. The dirt might be worth more than the pot. What are some other aspects of a clay pot? It's porous, right? Material can move in and out of this. Um, and, and there's a lot of imagery that, that Paul uses to talk about how God is moving in and out and among our lives. What are some of the other things about a clay pot? Are they kiln-fired? Yeah, they can handle the heat, right? They've been tested. Um, a clay pot that's formed and just allowed to air dry isn't worth anything. Right, it's you could just you could just hit it and it would just crumble to dust. What do they do with a clay pot after they form it? They put it in a in a really hot fire, and when it comes out of that really hot fire, now now it has some strength, right? Uh, what else do we think about? Are they often very pretty? They're generally pretty opaque. They're just sort of bland. One clay pot looks like another clay pot. They're just pretty simple. Not a lot of value in the clay pot. So why would Paul describe this treasure in jars of clay, this clay pot? What's he trying, what, what's, what point is he trying to make? The Holy Spirit is within us. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's feeling 
vulnerable at this moment. He's feeling weak. He's talking about all of this that's going on. He's talking about being crushed. He's talking about being perplexed. He's talking about you know, being persecuted. He feels fragile. He feels bland and opaque and without much value. Um, now, is Paul ever someone, I mean, I think if Paul had a risk of a, a temptation of sin, pride might be one of those things, right? Uh, he described himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews, the best of education, the best of everything, uh, but yet here he is describing himself as a jar of clay. Is he, is he saying that he's worth nothing, or is he simply saying that he's worth nothing in comparison to the ministry that he's, that he's carrying? Which, which is it? Does he know that he has value in the kingdom of God? I think he does, right? Mm-hmm. And is there, any, is there anything wrong in acknowledging that we're a valuable asset to the Lord, that we're beautifully made and crafted in his image? There's not a thing wrong with that. And that's not what he's, he's saying. He's not struggling with that. But he's saying in comparison to this ministry that he has, this spirit that lives within him, this word of God that he's carrying, by comparison, it's worth nothing. And uh, he's, he's using an image that the people uh, in this particular part of the world really understand because they put their valuable things in clay pots. If you were to have valuable oil or perfume, it more than likely is residing in a clay pot. Um, does anybody remember an example of when someone took a valuable item in a clay pot and used it with Jesus? Perfume. The perfume. That was, in a, that was in a clay pot and poured on, all over Jesus' feet. Um, what, what else stands out in this particular passage? How does, it, how does it hit you that Paul says that he was hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed? Remember, he's still drawing this contrast to that pot of clay. He hasn't given up on that. If you hard press a pot of clay on every side, what's going to happen to it? It's going to go, <laughs> it's going to be crushed. But he's saying, I'm not crushed. He's trying to make people understand that while fragile, he's being held up by someone. He's being held together by someone. Uh, when he says he's perplexed, but not in despair, have you ever been perplexed? What does perplexed mean? Is it just mere confusion? It's not, right? It's more than that. When you're perplexed, you're out of answers. You're stumped. What's Paul stumped about? What do we see him wrestle with? What do we see uh, Timothy wrestle with? One of the things Paul's wrestling with is his own call. And he's not wrestling with God on this. He's actually wrestling with all the people in the church in Corinth. Corinth especially was hard on Paul. They were saying, if all of this is happening to you, you must surely not be an apostle. Your life sucks this bad. You can't be God's chosen person for us. Why should we even listen to you? That's the perplexion. That's the the struggle that they're out of answers. You know, God, show these people. Why, why do all these bad things keep happening to me? I think a lot of it is he's 
his ministry that he was so strongly trying to show everybody is look how hard what he's gone through, but he always wants to glorify God through through it. He keeps his focus on him. It's that thing Charles Stanley says is focus on God, not the problem. He can show that he can come through all these challenges. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, he, he finishes this, uh, this particular section talking about carrying around the body, uh, in our body, the death of Jesus. What does he mean by that? He explains it a little. He says, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. What's he mean, though? Why would he carry around the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus could be revealed? What, what's he mean by that? It is, and, and there's a there's a section. Uh, it's I can't remember exactly where it is. I'm going blank right now. But uh, Paul basically sums up his ministry in this. He says, "If I'm not preaching about Christ and His crucifixion, nothing, you know, there is no value in anything else. It's all about Christ and Him being crucified, and that has to be in every message. That's in every story. Uh, it's I have to literally carry that with me, or people will never see the life of Jesus." They'll never see the life that he brings. If I don't talk about him crucified, they miss the point. Um, let's, uh, let's uh, okay, here. Uh, so when have you seen someone glorify God when they were afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, or struck down? Anybody have an example of someone that comes to mind? Was he, was he persecuted or... Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he wasn't like physically hurt or anything, but he had a lot of time. I mean, if I was 6'3", 240, and that good looking, I don't care what people <laughs> said about me. You know? I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, was it that? I don't know. Maybe it is hard. I think of Johnny Erickson Tyler. Okay. And, uh, you know, I was a kid when, she, when that accident happened. And she was paralyzed. And you see how even today, all that she's doing for her faith, she runs a Those examples of people persevering, I think they, they move us when we see that. Um, Have you ever seen him do the one where he's at this high school and you can see all, he's talking to the boys and girls both and he's trying to emphasize about their importance and how they're valuable and you see the girls and some of the guys tearing up and stuff, they're just that emotionally getting drawn into it the way he's trying to. You know, yeah. Christian families. Just, that's 
this hard to read and my kids got into reading that to know how good we have it that we can be so open and worship and not fear yeah we have a friend that served as a missionary in Africa, and he starts this one particular story where he says, well, the second time I had an AK-47 stuffed in my face, which reminds you that there was a first time <laughs> as, as well, and then it makes you wonder how many other times there must have been, but uh, he was a pilot flying missionaries around Africa, uh, and there were several times where they were taken captive and you know, uh, held for ransom, threatened you know, with their lives. Uh, there are people meeting in churches there. Uh, anybody heard of the terrorist group Boko Haram or something like that? Their, their main mission is to destroy Christianity in those villages and areas surrounding them. Uh, they're, they're Muslim conquerors. And they run into these villages and they take all the women and all the kids and they leave all the guys. You ever stop and think about why they would do that? Right? You start stop and think about who's, who's holding together communities. You know, they take all the women and children and then they leave the dudes to sort of fend for themselves and they don't do so well in keeping the faith and persevering. Let's, uh, let's, let's continue on here. Second Corinthians 4, 12 through 15. Will somebody read that one for us? So then, does that work in us but life is that work in me? It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and send us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. What's Paul mean when he says, so death is at work in us, but life is at work in you? What's he mean by that? Is he being literal or not in this particular case? Most scholars believe he's being literal in this sense that he's, he's basically telling these people, we're withering away for your good. We're doing this, and our end is coming. We know that it is, and that death is at work in us. It, we, we are out there on the front line. Uh, but that's, that's going to lead to life for you. you know, there, there is a powerful message that we're delivering you, and it's going to cost us something, and we know that. And it's a, it's a scary thing, but, but he's confessing there. Uh, what obstacles sometimes keep us from viewing suffering as an opportunity to share the gospel? What are some of the obstacles that, uh, that interfere? Do you see suffering or, or uh, perplexion or um, persecution as a great time to share Jesus? What keeps us from doing that? Sometimes I think you're just trying to survive through the That's right. obstacle you're dealing with. Yeah. yeah. Um, in service today, Paul gave a great example, right, of Elijah uh, running uh, when he feared for his life. And uh, he, he failed to remember that he was on a mission, right? Paul said this morning he should have stopped and prayed, right? He, sh he should have at went to God first, but he was very concerned about saving his own skin. That's, that's this natural human reaction that we have to pain and trouble is that we try and flee from it. Um, so there, yeah, that, that very natural response can often be uh, the thing that's, that holds us back. Um, 
What was what was Paul wrestling with again, though? What was his challenge? It's that people didn't see his suffering as an opportunity. They saw his suffering as a curse. And Paul's reminding the people, he's reminding us that, that those times of persecution, those times of suffering, uh, that's, that's actually an opportunity for us to talk about uh, what God's doing in our lives and how he's using us and how he can uh, impact them as well. Uh, Paul would actually, if he were here with us, he would encourage us and he would remind us that suffering could lead to the spread of the gospel. Uh, and Paul really believed that. And as, as he's writing uh, these people here at, at this particular church, uh, his message is, is that he's, he's being withered away for their good. Um, and God may choose to use us in the exact same way. Um, Paul ends that particular seg- segment and he says, all of this is for your benefit so that the grace uh, that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So try and remember that the next time that you're going through uh, some of your suffering, that you may be in just the right spot, just the right opportunity to cause the spread of the gospel. Let's look at the next section here as we're, time is dwindling quickly on us. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Will somebody read that, please? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Yeah, so leave it, leave it to Paul to bring everybody back to, you know, sort of a final summary statement. Uh, and then anytime you see the therefore, you ask, what's the therefore, right? It's a reminder. It's a connection. It's to, to help people understand that I was just talking about literally being crushed and perplexed and wasting away. And now he makes that connection that says outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're renewed day by day. Uh, and then he starts to make light of what he's gone through. He describes all of the things that he's gone through, those things that they're actually judging him for and saying you can't possibly be an apostle of Christ. He actually calls them a light and momentary trouble. Um, would you describe some of the things that he's been through as a light and momentary trouble? Yeah. Um, but he says that those things are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He's making a, a connection um, that to fully experience uh, the eternal glory that he has to share in these sufferings. And there are some other writings that Paul has earlier in, in 1 Corinthians as well as early in 2 Corinthians where he says that without that suffering uh, that Christ experienced, we don't really experience him in, in eternity. Um, what does he mean by that? What, what is it that Paul's trying to remind us of? There, there's this weird connection, but it's one that we really have to, to grasp and understand that when you accept Jesus, you accept not only his gift, but you accept the, the scorn and persecution and shame associated with it, right? You get the whole package, and it goes back with what that previous section, Paul was just talking about death being at work in them so that 
life could be expressed through them. Can we expect to share in the sufferings of Christ as his followers? That's really the take-home message here is that we can expect this. Um, So those people that were judging Paul because of all that was happening, do you think they were believers? How many of them do you think if he presented it this way and said, so, if you want to follow Jesus, guess what? (laughs) This is all going to happen to you too. That's the connection he's trying to make. He's trying to tell them, you should want to be where I am. Because where I am is I'm about to experience something that far outweighs all of this. Um, We're wasting away in front of you, but I have a day coming, right, where I'm going to be presented to God himself. I'm going to sit, I'm going to see Jesus, um, and you should want to be where I'm at. You should want to be persecuted and pressed and perplexed. You should want my spot. It's, It's a point of conviction. Um, Can I ask, what yeah. do you think that means for, you know, like like Beth was talking about people who have families steamrolled, you know, for being Christians. We don't really know that here. I think people like to throw the word persecution around in America, but it doesn't make sense to me when you hear about people getting steamrolled. So what do you think that means for American Christians? Yeah, so our... our worst form of persecution right now is being made fun of right and sometimes we can't stand up even under that right we don't like to be judged Uh, I I think it it puts us in a dangerous spot where we may not fully we may not be fully experiencing all that God requires of us Um, I don't think it means that we you know lose our salvation I don't think that there's some earning that has to be to be made there but uh, I think that Paul's talking about him sharing in the glory that Jesus is experiencing. And I, I'm wondering if, if perhaps I don't get to experience all of that. I don't know. I think it's a deep theological question of, you know, do you, do you live a life without persecution and therefore you're, you know, I don't know. We have other kinds of suffering. But right. Yeah, and I would say the modern Christian church, it's not just in America, I would say the modern Christian church really from probably the times of about Martin Luther, you know, so go back a couple of hundred years, something like that. I mean, there's been very little persecution of the the modern Western Christian church. Um, I don't know if our day's coming, you know, or or what, but it's certainly uh, not what we're seeing experienced in some other parts of the world. So as we, as we close out today, we're a little over time. Uh, we look at some things we can do this week. Uh, one of those is to pray. We can ask God to help you endure suffering. Ask him to draw you closer to him. And then ask a few close friends to pray for you and remind you of God's love for you. Journaling. One way you can discover how God is at work is to use a journal to write down your prayers and observations. Anybody journal in here? Yeah, one of the most important things to do in journaling is to actually write down when you see God move, when you see God do something that only can be attributed to him. Uh, Because we think our memories are really good, and just because you can remember a date or a number from seven years ago doesn't doesn't mean you're always going to remember where God moved and what God did. So write write those things down. 
and then to share. Tell someone else of your experience with God during a time of difficulty or suffering. It's your story to share. Look at it as a gift to someone who is suffering now. Pray and ask God to make you aware of any opportunities that, where you could use your story to encourage or help others. Um, you all have stories. You all have examples in your life where you saw God move. And uh, like Paul, uh, we're all called to share those. So look for an opportunity this, this week if you can. Um, any other questions or comments today? like to uh, be gone and be with Jesus, I feel it's necessary to sustain. You know, he was seeing the need to continue on for the others as you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I think we see several examples throughout the Bible of God's person um, asking for it to be over, right? And we saw another example today in Elijah uh, where it was just like, you know, I'm done. Uh, if you want to kill me, kill me now. Uh, I think uh, Paul's likely been there as well. Um, well. Let's wrap up there today, and let's uh, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. We'll see kids in the hallway. Uh, Lord, thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house with fellow believers. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, we're we're not experiencing uh, the, the the gross persecution here, but Lord, we we're intrigued, and we ask you to speak to us and show us what that means for us, what the responsibility is for us, uh, given the, the environment that we're in. And God, I pray that you would use uh, the, the pain, the suffering, uh, the troubles, and the difficulties of life uh, in this group to encourage others, and that we would see it as an opportunity to spread the gospel. And God, that you would, you would bless those uh, events, that you actually would spread the gospel through the, the, the difficulties that come our way. And God, help us to wrestle with concepts like death being at work in us uh, so that life could be made full uh, in you. Help us to wrestle with that this week and understand uh, how, how then we should, we should live and act. And God, we open today with honoring you and what that means. And God, I pray that you would show us as we walk day by day with you, that we would start our days with you, and that we would honor you with all the days of our life. God, show us how to make that real uh, this week. Uh, give us opportunities to share our faith, and Lord, and to just love each other and to love the people around us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah.